Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. I think what YouTube needs and what this world needs is not a cat doing backflips or Logan Paul fighting Floyd Mayweather. I think that what this world, I don't think, I know what this world needs is a fresh encounter with the Holy Ghost and with the power of God and with the Word of God preach unadulterated. You know, a lot. there's like I said it on the last broadcast, there's stats that are coming out that people are leaving the church at unprecedented levels, that there's all kinds of people that are leaving, uh, that grew up in church and no longer attend church. But what they don't tell you is the types of churches that those people are leaving. They're not leaving Holy Ghost, charismatic, Pentecostal, supernatural, uh, spirit-filled churches where the power of God's in display and the Word of God is being preached unperverted and un- unadulterated, untouched, untampered by the hands and the thoughts and the bias of men. They're leaving churches that are lukewarm. They're leaving churches that it's literally just a form of godliness, but they've denied the power that's able to set f- people free. And I wouldn't, I don't blame them. I'd leave those places too. I'm not interested in some fake religious show. I'm not interested in just rocking chair religion where it's just a bunch of activity and excitement, but nobody goes anywhere. I'm interested in a fresh move of the Holy Ghost. I'm interested in encountering the power and fire of God. I'm interested in in hooking up with the same power that raised Christ from the dead that's able to quicken people, spirit, soul, and body so that their lives are never the same. And so you see these stats. They try and tell you, oh, people are leaving the church. They're, they're leaving the wrong, They're leaving churches that I would leave too. But you want to know something that they don't tell you? There is an influx of people that come from all kinds of walks of life that are coming in to the true church of God, the authentic church of God. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Don't let this wave of wickedness that's hitting the earth right now dissuade you into thinking that God is backed up into a corner and does, and he's lost control. No, Jesus said, I will build my church and though the gates of hell attempt to try and stop the move of God, attempt to try and stop the building of the church, attempt to try and stop the establishment of God's kingdom on the earth, all of their efforts will fail because Jesus was not bluffing when he said, I'm going to build. You can't stop what God has started. And when God started his church in Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit of God came in the upper room, it hasn't stopped growing. Thessalonians says, Paul told the Thessalonian church, that your, your faith has gone out into all the world and the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you and it has not stopped to build and produce fruit everywhere it goes. As long as there's people speaking this word and aren't just put, you know, putting in their bias, putting in their thoughts, but are speaking it in truth as what it really is, the word of God, which works its power in them that believe, then you could know that the word will continue to bear fruit everywhere it goes. The Bible says, so shall my word be which proceeds out of my mouth. It can never return void. And so don't get discouraged. I felt to say that before I get it. We're not even going to talk about that today. But if you're, if you're discouraged with the way things are going on the earth and you've just listened to the news, some of you have to quit watching the news, because at least some, some news sources, because all it does is build discouragement in you. you got to start listening to preaching. Start to get on God's prophetic timeline for the days that we're living in. And God doesn't say in the last days, I'm going to lose control and wickedness will abound and I don't know what we'll do. We'll just figure it out 
out as time goes. No. The Bible says in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit. There's going to be a revival. The Bible says in the last days, the mountain of the Lord, meaning the, the Mount Zion, the church of God, will be exalted above all the mountains of this world. And the Bible says the word of the Lord shall sound forth from Jerusalem and from Zion. And the scripture says that in the day, though there's deep darkness on the earth, upon his church, God's glory and power and his light will be seen. We're not going out as a, 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 a handicapped church. We're not going out as a dilapidated church. We are going out as a church. We're going up in the rapture as a church without spot, without wrinkle, a glorious bride. And our best days are not behind us. Jesus said in John 2, he keeps the best for last. He brought the best wine out for the last days of that feast. God doesn't reserve the best first. He says, I'm going to reserve the latter rain for the latter days. And the latter rain is going to be a culmination of the former rain and the latter rain in the same month. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The former rain. What was the former rain? It was the early church. God said, the move I'm going to do in the end days is going to be a culmination. It's going to be a combination of what I did in the early church and what I'm about to do. In the so it's not going to be less than what we read in the book of the, of the book of Acts. It's going to be at least as much as what we read in the book of Acts and more. And you're going to be a part of it in Jesus' name. Today, we're talking about holiness, the highway of holiness. And I'm going to first start off by reading the scripture in 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Listen to this. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are the children of God. So we're not hoping to one day become children of God. We're not hoping to one day join the army of God. We are children of God. I am right now as much a child of God as I'll ever be. I've been adopted into the family of God. The Bible says we who at one time strangers and foreigners are now members of the household of God and citizens with the saints. Now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be in its fullness, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be. He's talking about in the fullness of what we will be when we put on, we literally receive our glorified bodies. But we know that when Jesus is revealed in the rapture, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Verse 3, I want to focus on this. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he Jesus is pure. So the Bible says, and we talked about it briefly in the last broadcast. I spoke on global revival, global evangelism, and that we're in the last days, and that God has a plan for his church in these last days. And I talked about the signs of the times, and that we don't have to just, you know, wonder if we're living in the end times. Jesus made it very clear in Matthew 24, you should look out for these signs, for when these things begin to happen, you can know that my return is near even at the door. And we're seeing every single one of those. I, I forgot to mention it, but the biggest prophecy to be fulfilled and the last one to be fulfilled, which Jesus said, when you see this one fulfilled, that generation that sees this happen will not pass away until the coming of the Lord happens. And that prophecy was the fig tree budding again. You can look at Catholic books, Protestant theological books. You can look at any type of study Bible. And that fig tree budding again, any Jew that was hearing Jesus speak of the fig tree, they automatically knew because of Torah teaching that he was referring to Israel, the nation of Israel being born, rebirthed 
on the earth again. Remember when Israel, when Jesus was speaking this to the Israelites in that day, they were under Roman control. They were not, they did not hold a national sovereignty. The Bible says, Jesus said this, not me, not some 1970s theologian. Jesus said this in Matthew 24 and in Luke 21 respectively. When you see Israel born again as a nation, not born again spiritually, meaning when you see it but again and regain national sovereignty on the earth, you can know that my return is soon even at the door for that generation that sees that happen will not pass away until everything else is fulfilled. Well, when did Israel become... Uh, regain its national sovereignty, May 14th, 1948. We saw that fulfilled in our lifetime. I wasn't born, but my grandparents were. They saw that happen. You can talk to your grand. You can look it up in the news. That happened on, on one day, which fulfills Isaiah 66, which says, can a nation be born in one day? It literally happened. You know, people try to almost give a figurative or a metaphorical fulfillment of prophecy, but prophecy most of the time is fulfilled literally. Yes, there are some that you have to interpret, like, you know, the dragons and the heads of the dragons in the book of Revelation, but the prophecies always have a literal fulfillment. We're not looking out for some spiritual kingdom Jesus is going to bring back. He's coming back literally. Jesus said, when he, well, when he ascended, his angels told the people that were straining their eyes as they looked at him being received up by a cloud into heaven. The angel said, why do you stand here gazing up into heaven? This Jesus, whom you have seen go physically and literally, will so come in like manner as you have seen him go. Jesus is not coming back and setting up a metaphorical kingdom. He's coming back in all his glory. The Bible says in the breath of his mouth and in the appearance of his coming, he will consume and destroy the Antichrist christ and for a thousand years there will be a literal kingdom so when the bible said that israel will be born in one day that was fulfilled literally in 78 uh, in 1948 may 14 1948 and so knowing that the, the times are getting heated knowing that you know if you take a biblical generation let's say let's stretch it out god told noah nevertheless my 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 spirit cannot strive with men nevertheless man's day shall be 120 let's say the longest we can take some people say a generation's 40 years some people say it's 70 years other people say from that scripture it's 120 years a full generation let's say it's 120 years 1948 plus 120 is 2068 that would give us like not much time left and the Bible says the generation that saw 1948 happen, that Israel born again in one nation will not pass away until the coming of the Lord happens. And so why did I read 1 John 3, 3? Everyone who has this hope in him, what's the hope? That we're going to see Christ return again. That we're going to be raptured up. That Jesus is coming back again. We don't just preach that and teach that and sing about it. That will literally be fulfilled one day where the eastern sky will be split open. The Bible says that the, the um, archangel will descend with the trumpet of God and the son of God will shout and the dead in Christ will rise first and we who are alive will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So there's a work to be done. When you understand that we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for the things that we've done. 
We have to have a push towards purity. We cannot live our lives. One of the heresies that was spreading in the Corinthian church that Paul had to rebuke and set people in place and correct and take time to exhort and teach in is that the Corinthians believed that our spirit is saved. And since our spirit is saved, it doesn't matter what our body does. It doesn't matter what our eyes look like eyes look at it doesn't matter where we go it doesn't matter what our actions are on earth our spirits saved and we're gonna make heaven no matter how we live our lives here on this earth and paul had to take time to tell them don't you know that god the bible says his blood was shed to glorify you spirit and body the Bible says, know ye not that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost? Because they thought that their spirit was saved and their body was pretty much disposable, they were joining themselves to temple prostitutes. They were sleeping around. They were, they were having lavicious lives. They were living in debauchery and in absolute abhorrent sin. Paul said sin so great that it's not even named amongst the Gentiles, meaning the world hasn't even thought of the wickedness that you, who's supposed to be the church, are committing. And Paul had to correct them saying, your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. When you join yourself to a harlot, you become one spirit with her. When you joined yourself to Christ, you became one spirit with, with him and therefore glorify God in your spirit and your bodies which belong to God. I'm not my own. I don't get to do whatever I want to do. I don't get to live the way I want to live. I I am a slave of Christ. I'm a slave to righteousness. I have a hope that Christ is coming back for me. And because of that hope, I have a drive in me to purify myself even as he is pure. I'm not living haphazardly. I'm not just, the Bible says we no longer walk according to the flesh. What's the flesh? It's the carnal desires. It's the, you know, the Bible talks about a sin nature in people that they, they're, it's easy to lie. It's easy to not read your Bible. It's easy to not go to church. It's easy to, to, to commit sin. It's easy. It's not hard. You don't have much resistance in doing those things. The Bible says we don't walk according to the flesh, meaning we don't fall victim to the deeds or desires of the flesh. We walk according to the Spirit. The Bible says in Galatians 5, the deeds of the flesh are evident. They are dissension. They are division. They are outbursts of wrath, that, wrath and anger. They are witchcraft. They are... Uh, hatred and envy and those he says those who practice such things as i've told you beforehand i tell you once again those who practice such things will never inherit the kingdom of heaven but the fruit of the spirit what is he talking about the fruit of the spirit the fruit of the redeemed spirit it's not talking about the fruit of the holy ghost it's talking about the fruit of the holy spirit being joined to our spirit the fruit of the redeemed regenerated spirit it's not talking about the Spirit of God. It's talking about one who's truly been born again. This is the fruit that shall be produced. No wonder John the Baptist rebuked the Pharisees when they came to be baptized by him. He said, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruit worthy of repentance. Bear fruit... For the axe is laid at the root of the tree. Every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into fire. But he that is a good tree, Jesus said, will from his heart bring forth good things. 
Paul said, the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of the born again nature in a man will be this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And Paul goes on to say, those who belong to Christ have what? They have crucified their flesh and their desires. They've put it under. They no longer... Romans 8, we no longer walk according to the flesh, we walk according to the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. And he that is carnally minded, Romans 8 says, can never please God, is at enmity with God. Enmity, meaning you're an enemy of God. James 4, 4 says, you adulteresses and adulterers, know ye not that friendship with this world is enmity with God. When you decide to join yourself to the system of this world, to live like the people of this world, to fall in to the deceitfulness of sin in this world, you become an enemy of God. God is love, absolutely. But I want you to understand, I'm taking this long introduction to convey this truth to you, that though God is love, in his love, he does not give permission or allowance for sin. God is love, but God is just. And if you study the entirety of the Bible, over 40 times God is said to be holy. God is said to be uh, um, uh, a holy God and the holiness of God. You'll see words like that all throughout the Bible. Only one time does it say God is love. 40 times it says God is holy. God is holy. God is holy. God is holy. One time it says God is love. So there's a 40 times emphasis on the holiness of God than there is on the love of God. I'm not saying God is not loving, but God's love, God's grace is not a license for us to keep on sinning and doing whatever excites our flesh and our carnal minds. Paul even said to the Corinthian church, he said, I wanted to come to you and bring you spiritual food, meat that would help you and bring you on to maturity and help you to grow. If my son was still only feeding on milk or breast milk, to, to, to this day at two years old and he never ate food he never ate he wouldn't grow he wouldn't be on the, the the chart that they give you he wouldn't be at the level he should be at he would be emaciated he'd be skin and bones he wouldn't be nourished to the point where he needs to be nourished we ha he has to come to a point where he starts to eat meat he starts to eat steak he starts to eat paul said i came i wanted to give you those things but because you're carnally minded and there's still division among you and there's still a lack of holiness in the body because of that, I couldn't. I was restrained. I had to give you milk, and I have to start with the elementary basics of Christianity. But Paul says, in, or whoever wrote Hebrews, some people say Paul, some other people say someone else. But Hebrews says, let us press on to maturity. Let's move on to the higher things. There, we, we have to stop with this nursery Christian uh, church religion where it's every time we come to church, we're just feeding off the bottle that pastor hands our way. We need to press on to maturity. We need to press on to the higher things of God we need the Bible says he that is unskilled in the word of righteousness in the word of holiness he is like a babe that feeds only on milk but he who by reason of use have exercises have exercised their senses to discern both good and evil to them 
belong strong meat. I believe I'm talking to people that are moving into the strong meat of the word. I believe I'm talking to people that God's going to give them a quantum leap in the things of God. You're moving forward. There's a change of level, a dimension change that's going to occur in you. And it's starting today because the first thing that you need to do without holiness, the Bible says, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. You'll never see God at work in your life until holiness is at work in you. You'll never see the work, the blessing of God, the healing power of God, everything heaven and God has to offer. You'll never see it at work in your life until you settle this one issue. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and it's through wisdom a house is built. You can't be built in the things of God until the fear of the Lord is established in you. And I prophesy in the name of Jesus. The Bible calls it the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Isaiah 11, 1 through 3. The spirit of the fear of the Lord. I prophesy the spirit of the fear of the Lord is going to fall on you today. It's not going to be you trying to not sin. It's going to be something working in and through you, enabling you and empowering you to see sin as a disgusting entity and to connect yourself and tie on the yoke of slavery to righteousness from this day onward in the name of Jesus Christ. Listen to this. First Peter chapter three. Second Peter chapter three, sorry. Second Peter chapter three. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, the new heaven and the new earth, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. Be diligent. Be diligent. The Bible says in verse 12, looking and hastening, or verse 11, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, since this earth is going to be burnt by fire, what manner of persons ought we to be in holiness and in godliness? So holiness, contrary to many churches today, is not some side issue to the Bible. It's not something that God sees lightly. God is holy. You hear the, the vision Isaiah saw in Isaiah 6. The Bible says he heard the cherub shouting out time and time again, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They weren't saying kind, kind, kind. They weren't saying merciful, merciful, merciful. They weren't saying loving, loving, loving is the Lord God of, uh, Almighty. The number one way the cherub defined God in heaven, the only word they came up with that they kept repeating day and night before the throne room of heaven is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy. God is holy. What is holiness? Holiness is not just loving what God loves. It's intolerance and hatred and abhorrence for the things that God hates. God's holiness does not just give us a set of things to do. It shows us a set of things God hates. Proverbs 7 says these seven things the Lord hates. He hates hands that shed innocent blood. As much as God is loving, as much as God is kind, as much as people love to paint a picture of God as he's like some hippie and he's just like, you know, anybody and anybody, come as you are, stay as you are. That's not how God is. God's holiness does not permit him to look on evil. There are certain things God can't do. God cannot lie. God cannot change. And God cannot sin. And God cannot look on or tolerate sin. He can't do it. It's an impossibility with God. Anytime sin is at work in someone's life, he cannot and will not intervene until sin is done away with, until sin is repented of. 
The holiness of God. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 7 and 1, Therefore, since we have such great and magnificent promises in this book called the Bible, what effort should we make to keep ourselves from all defilement? What's defilement? Being stained with. All defilement of flesh and spirit. Then it says perfecting holiness in the fear of God. The Bible says in Hebrews that God has forever perfected us. We are perfect in righteousness. I want you to understand this. There's a difference between righteousness and holiness. Righteousness is your position before God. The Bible says, He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. When you came to Christ, you put on His righteousness. You are righteous even as Christ is righteous. The Bible says we now have we possess the righteousness of God in us the Bible says it's a righteousness that comes to us through faith through faith so in position when God looks on me he sees me as righteous but the Bible says in that same passage of Hebrews he has forever perfected us in righteousness those who are being sanctified or being made holy so righteousness is not something we strive to attain it's something we have when we're in christ but holiness is something that we have to paint a picture of perfection of ahead of us and strive to live holy hebrews chapter 12 says we are to strive to be at peace with all men and live holy it's something you strive for paul said it this way in in philippians 3 let me read that for you philippians chapter 3 philippians chapter 3 if you're just joining me now, welcome. Please share this broadcast. It's, this is going to be a good one. For a lot of people, they're going to be set free. It's not going to be, I pray today, God is going to break the cycle of sin in many people's lives. Some of you are up and down Christians. You're ditch to ditch Christians. It's like one, you break free from one thing and then you fall into something else. You, you, you break free from one sinful habit and then you fall into another sinful habit. Jesus didn't say, and you'll know the truth and you'll have a half freedom. He said, you will know the truth and you will be set free. Galatians 5 says, since you now have been set free by Christ, no longer subject yourselves to a yoke of slavery. You don't have to fall in to another sin you don't have to live from sin to sin when the bible says you can go from glory to glory from victory to victory god can break you free from the cycle of sin but you have to find out what he says about sin in the bible and you have to find out how he says we can actually live in victory over sin you are either having sin live in victory over you or you are living in victory over sin there's no other path in life you are either living in victory over sin or sin is living in victory over you romans 6 says that sin shall no longer reign in our mortal bodies that we should obey it in its lust we don't have to be or fall and succumb to the pressure of sin yes sin is running rampant in this world the bible says where wickedness abounds wickedness will abound lawlessness will increase in the last days but where wickedness and lawlessness abound god said in romans 
5, there shall the grace and power that much more abound. Where there's much sin, sin, there's much grace to empower you to keep your hands free from sin. Remember in 2 Corinthians 6, the clarion call of heaven is not come as you are and leave as you are. It's not come to me. We're all children of God. We're all going to make heaven. Some of us, we've chosen a different path. You know, there was a famous Christian, former Christian singer that just released a tweet on Twitter. A guy that if I named his name, many of you would know him. He was a, a number one uh, hit in Christianity 15 years ago, 10, 15 years ago, and he put out a tweet on Twitter saying, Buddha is Christ, Muhammad is Christ, uh, Confucius is Christ, we are all Christ, Christ is just goodness in the air. This man, he's part of the apostasy that the Bible prophesies in the last days, they've taken heed to seducing spirits, and they've bought into doctrines of demons. I wrote back very clearly, actually only one of those can provide an empty tomb. Buddha died and stayed dead. Confucius died and stayed dead. Muhammad died and stayed dead. Um, Hindu gods, they all died and stayed dead. There's only one that died but came back to life, and his name is Jesus, and he didn't say, I am a way. He didn't say, I am part of the truth. He didn't say, I found the path to life he said i am the way i am the truth i am the life and nobody can get to the father except through me and so you see that there's this falling away people are falling they they've seen this book as some outdated document i'm here to tell you today the bible's not an outdated ancient document that no longer holds relevancy today it's more relevant today than it's ever been the bible holiness is not some outdated ancient concept that people held to but now we've pretty much graduated to something deeper and something beyond that those were primate people oh they were first century christians uh jesus and and, and all that they were pretty much primitive people they didn't understand what we know today the bible is more relevant today the bible says it is the incorruptible seed that lives and abides forever it the leaves will fade fade away the flowers will fade away the grass will wither away but the word of the lord and god's standard of holiness abides forever god's standard of holiness is unchanging because god himself is unchanging in the same vision isaiah 6 when he saw the vision and heard holy 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 that same chant that same song that same chorus is still being sang today because john seven eight hundred years later john on the island of patmos hears the very same words holy 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 is the lord god almighty and the whole earth is full of his glory who was who is who is to come hallelujah so listen to what paul says not that i've already attained or i'm already made perfect in holiness so he's saying he's pretty much saying i, I i've slipped sometimes i've made mistakes he, he even said i've i've sinned he's not saying that it's a daily thing or it's something that i enjoy i'm and you know never entertain something that the bible calls wicked paul wasn't saying that i entertain these things he said i i'm i'm being honest with you i've i've slipped up however i press on that I might lay hold for wit, for that which Christ has already laid hold of me. I don't count myself yet to have apprehended. But one thing I do, I forget those things which are behind. And I'm reaching forward to those things which are ahead. 
and I'm pressing towards the goal, the target for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul said there is a target of holiness. Jesus said you are to be perfect even as my Father in heaven is perfect. Um, Peter said in 1 Peter 1, that we are to be holy even as He is holy and no longer entertain our former conduct. Be holy as He is holy. So the, our standard, our goal, Paul says, I'm pressing towards the goal. What's the goal? It's the target of absolute holiness. And it's not an impossible target. Don't let anybody, Satan or religion, deceive you into thinking that living free from sin is impossible. It's absolutely possible. It's attainable. Paul said, I'm pressing towards it. I'm moving towards it. So this whole, you know, religious jargon that's been pumped into the church that we all sin every day. How many of you know we're all sinners? One day we'll finally be set free from sin. Paul said that... The law of the spirit of life in Christ has set me free from the laws of sin and death. You know, people use Romans 7, and I'm going to read it briefly because I want to get through this. And I think it's important to read because there's a lot of churches and pastors and leaders and evangelists and all kinds of people that always target pastors, but it's evangelists. It's anybody. There's a lot of teachers in the church that teach Romans 7 as our reality in redemption. That yes, we're redeemed, but listen to what he says. For what I'm doing, I don't understand. I'm, I'm, let me read it from verse, seven, verse 13. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. Sin, that it might appear sin, was producing. I want you to, if you're reading out of your Bible, highlight was producing. It doesn't say it's continuing to produce death in me. It was producing death in me. Because or else we got a schizophrenic Paul and a schizophrenic God because all scripture is inspired by God. Because you're here, you see him here saying he, it was producing death in me. That I, um, and he, we're going to talk about his battle that he had with sin when he wasn't redeemed. And then we're reading Galatians 5 that says, I've crucified sin. It's no longer I who lives. Now Christ lives in me. And I'm striving towards... So you... You either have a schizophrenic Jesus and a schizophrenic God who's got split personality or... We've not been interpreting Romans 7 the way it should be interpreted. Listen to this. It was producing. Sin was producing death in me through what is good. So sin, through the commandment, became exceedingly sinful to me. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. So now Paul is moving into the thought process he had before he was redeemed. He's saying, I'm carnal and I was sold under sin. For what I'm doing, I don't understand. He's trying to illustrate the battle that he had in his flesh. For what I will to do, I don't practice, but what I hate, that I do. If then I'm doing what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it's good. But now, it's no longer I who's doing it, but the sin that dwells in me. He's also trying to show you the depravity of man with just the law of God. See, that's what the law came to do. Galatians says the law confined all men under sin so that we had to look to Jesus. The law served as a tutor. It showed man your sin. It showed you what you, how holy and how high God's standard of holiness is and how low we are, how in a, unable we are in our flesh to live out God's commandments and stay holy even as he is holy. So Paul's saying, I know what the law says to do, but I can't practice everything. It shows you this frustration he had, this ongoing war 
That's why I want to preach this today. Because that ongoing war was settled when Christ died and his blood set you free. The Bible says the remission of sins. It removed the sin nature from you so that the law of the spirit of life now has set you free from the laws of sin and death. So that you no longer have to be bound by sin. Sin no longer has to have dominion over you. But you now can have dominion over sin. And you can win the war against sin. Not because of anything you've done, but by simply accepting these New Testament covenant realities and truths. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that is good. But now it's no longer I who does it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me. But how to perform what is good, I don't find. For the good that I will to do, I don't do. The evil that I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it's no longer I who does it, but it's the sin that dwells in me. So he's talking about when I wasn't redeemed, sin still lived in me. I still had that sin nature in me. I then find a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God, according to the inward man. I want to please God, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He's showing you his thought process. I thank God, verse 25, it'd be a good thing. You remember, the Bible was not divided into chapter and verses. When it was written, man added that to simplify referencing the Bible scriptures. You have to read the whole thing. It's a good thing to read 7 and 8 and even 9 at the same time. Or read 6, 7, 8, 9. It's a good thing to do. A good way to, to read the Bible is not just to isolate one scripture, one chapter, one verse. Read the entirety of the thing and you'll find out Paul's full thought. Because if all you do is take half thoughts and half verses, and half ideas, and half theology, and half all this, you're going to have a half Christian Christianity. You're going to have half power. You're going to have half struggle. You're going to have a half hard time. I'm going to tell you a full hard time, actually. But if you continue to the rest of the verse, you find out what Paul's full thought was in bringing all of that up. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with my mind I'm serving the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did. So he's saying the law couldn't help me. The law cannot save me from sin. But what the law couldn't do, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, we set our mind on the things of the spirit. To be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God. It can never be. So then those who are in the flesh will never please God. But you are not in the flesh. He's pretty much saying you're not Romans 7. You're not that. Any teaching that tells you you are Romans 7, it, it's, it, it's wrong. You are not in the flesh, but you're in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he's not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the same spirit who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit that dwells in you. 
I want to move on because we have a lot to cover and I'm already 44 minutes in, but I want to move on to what I had in my notes because it's really going to help you. Why do we live holy? Why should we live holy? What are some reasons for holiness? Because you'll never know or you'll never do the why until you know the why. To know the why is incredibly important because it'll give you the power to fulfill the what. Motivation. There's a lot of people who come out of revival services and they have a motivation to live holy, but they don't know why they have that motivation. And so when the motivation or the initial thrill goes, you end up doing what? Giving up, falling back, slipping up, falling back into the sin that you just came out of, going back to the vomit that God delivered you from. But when you know the why, it produces in you a discipline to keep on Fulfilling the what? To keep on in holiness. To press on towards holiness. So why, what are some reasons to live holy? Why, why does God require holiness? Why does God want us to live holy? What are some even personal advantages and benefits of living holy? Number one reason why you need to live a holy life is because hell is real. Luke 16, the Bible shows not a parable, a story. If it was a parable, Jesus would not have used a, uh, an actual name. But he used the name. He called the rich man and he called the man Lazarus. The Bible says that there was the rich man who fared sumptuously. He had everything he wanted in life. He lived in, in luxury, was clothed in fine purple. And the Bible says there was another man, a poor man called Lazarus, who was at the gate of the rich man who begged for the crumbs that fell from his table and the dogs of the rich man would come and lick Lazarus's wounds. Bible says the rich man died and he went to hell. Lazarus died and he was carried away to Abraham's bosom because it was before Christ. When the rich man was in hell, he didn't say, oh man, I just feel so separate from God. People use that. What a lie. The worst thing about hell is not separation from God because people who are in sin and live lives rejecting the gospel they're already separated from god they're already without god without hope in this world they're already strangers to god so the worst thing about hell is not going to be separation from god they live their entire lives separate from god the worst thing about hell the the rich man cried out and said it i am in anguish because of these flames that i'm in torment with Send Lazarus to dip his finger in some water so he can dip it in my tongue that I might have temporary relief. And Abraham said, it's impossible for there's a chasm between us. Nobody can come from this side to your side. Nobody can go from that side to, to my side. It wasn't just eternal separation from God. It was eternal, a fire, Jesus said, that can never be quenched. Jesus said, don't fear man that can kill your body and that's all they can do. Fear God who can kill your body and then send your soul to hell. Where there's a worm that never dies, a worm that eats away at the flesh, that it's like a constant thing, an eternal torture, because it, it's eating, it's eating, it's eating, but there's an unending source of flesh, because it's almost like you keep on regenerating. And there's a worm that never dies, and there's a, fly, a fire and a flame that is never quenched. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 20, that the books will be open on that great day. 
And every man will be judged according to the deeds that they have done, which are written out in the books. And those whose names are not found in the Lamb's book of life will be what? They will be thrown into the lake of fire. A lake of fire. Hell is real. Hell is hot. It's a real place. It wasn't created for mankind. It was created for the devil and his demons. God went and Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you in heaven. That where I am, I would receive you to myself. Heaven was prepared for you. Hell was prepared for the devil. But our reason for holiness is because the scripture says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. And we're not just talking about a physical death because there is a, a physical and a temporary consequence to sin, but there's an eternally an eternal consequence to sin. And it's an eternal flame. Number one, hell is real. Number two, without holiness, no man will see God. Hebrews 12 says that. No man will ever see God. No man will ever, um, no man will ever see God's blessing in their life. No man will ever see God's healing in their life. No man will ever see God's restoration power in their life. When you are content in living in sin, you'll never see the power of God at work in your life. The Bible says, whoever has been born of spirit and of truth shall enter in the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven is not just something we'll have in heaven. The Bible says the kingdom of God is in you. It's literally, you'll be cut off and separate from the kingdom of God uh, being birthed in you. The Bible says, blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. You'll never Taste and see of the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living as long as you are content and intent on following the path of sin. Jesus said it this way. There is a path, a gate that is broad and a path that is broad that leads unto destruction. And there are many that follow it. That destruction is not just in hell for eternity. That destruction is here and now. The Bible says the path of the sinner is, a, is a filled with thorns and with thistles. Proverbs says the way of the sinner is hard. The way of the sinner is hard. Hardship belongs to the sinner. Trouble belongs to the sinner. Evil pursues sinner, the Bible, sinners, the Bible says. But unto the righteous good shall rep be repaid. So without holiness, you're signing up to a life of hardship, of trouble, of destruction, of perpetual disturbance and torture and torment. The Bible says Jesus will deliver you up to the tormentors. Not just in heaven, not just in eternity I mean, but here on earth. Number three, why, is, why should we live holy lives? God requires it. Simply said, be holy as I am holy. Be perfect, even as my heavenly Father is perfect. That woman that was caught in the very act of adultery, Jesus told her, go and sin no more. I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. God requires us, after we've had an encounter with him, to go and sin no more. To deny ourselves, to pick up our cross. What's our cross? Your cross is not sickness. Your cross is not marriage problems your cross is not depression or anxiety or suicidal thoughts you the cross is you dying to yourself daily putting your flesh under paul said it this way 
I bring my flesh into the subjection of the desire of the spirit. I bring my flesh into subjection to my spirit, lest after I've preached to others about holiness, I myself would be disqualified. So Paul said, I die daily. I crucify myself daily. I live a life daily, putting my my will under. Not my will be done, but his will be done in and through me. I place myself on the altar of God day in and day out as a spiritual sacrifice so that God's power might work through me to prove his acceptable, perfect, and good will here on the earth. God requires holiness. The Bible says that when Jesus healed that, that uh, cripple in, at the pool of Bethesda, he went and found him. He didn't just heal him and then, well, good riddance. He went and found him and said, now that you have been made well, go and sin no more, lest the worst thing come on you. That's a bonus point. When you refuse to put an end to sin, the Bible says things aren't going to get better Worse things will come to you. Whatever God broke you free from, if you decide to go back into the pit of sin and peril, worse things, upgraded trouble, upgraded sickness, upgraded trials, upgraded problems. Jesus said when an unclean spirit comes out of a man, he goes through the dry places seeking rest. When he finds nothing, he goes back to the house from which he came out of. And he sees that he's been swept clean and put in order. But because there's no holiness, he goes and finds seven more spirits, more wicked than he. And they enter into the man. And the latter state of that man is worse than the first. From... If you don't cut sin out of your life, sin will cut you out of life. So number three, God requires it. Number four, compromise carries a consequence. I want you to write that out in the com comment section. Compromise carries a consequence. I'm going to show you. I wrote, I don't know how many down, but scriptural examples of just one slip up. How it started an avalanche of uh, unfortunate events that happened after one event, one event of compromise, one slip of compromise. Adam and Eve compromised one time, booted out of Eden. Cain compromised one time, killed his brother. It was a pretty hefty compromise, but it was a compromise nonetheless. And the Bible says that God gave him a mark, a curse on him. That the ground would no longer yield for him. And he would be a vagabond on the earth. And God put a, a mark on him that even if he tried to seek death, nobody would kill him. One sin brought a lifetime of anguish for Cain. Three, Moses struck the Egyptian dead. That one sin put him in a 40-year spiral where he stayed in a wilderness, and it delayed the mission and assignment of God that was on his life for 40 full years. One sin, the Israelites made a golden calf, and it put them in a 40-year cycle around the wilderness in perpetual confusion, never entering into the promised land, hearing of the promised land, but never able to, to ever see it. 
Those 10 spies came back and brought a wicked report of unbelief. That one sin disqualified themselves from ever seeing the promised land. Whereas Joshua and Caleb, they got to taste and see of it. Amnon in the Bible, I think it's 1 Samuel 13. David's son, one sin, had lust in his heart for his sister, slept with her. One, that one sin ended up stripping him of his royalty. And two years later, his brother Absalom killed him, struck him down, and lost his, his uh, ability to ever ascend to the throne. David, one sin with Bathsheba, ends up losing the son that Bathsheba had conceived. One sin with David when he, sent, he put a census out for Israel where God had said not to do it. But the, the Bible says Satan put it in David's heart to, to strike up a census, to count Israel's numbers. Which is not a wrong thing to have a census. But the reason David was doing it was because he was starting to trust in his troops and in his soldiers for war. Rather than what he had already confessed. Some boast in chariots, some boast in horses. But we will make our boast in the Lord. That one sin caused an angel of the Lord to come for three full days and massacre Israel. Where for three days blood was in the streets. And then finally God said, stay your hand. And there was relief. One sin, Ananias and Sapphira, they lied in the offering by saying they had sold their field for such and such a price and they gave the full thing in the offering when in reality they held back some of the proceeds. They lied about their offering and Ananias dropped dead and then three hours later Sapphira comes in and she's like, well, what's going on? Why is everyone so quiet? Hey, did you, uh, did you sell the field for such and such a price and that's what you gave? Yeah. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie? The same feet that came to carry out Ananias' body, your husband, they're coming to carry your body out. And she breathed her last and fell down dead. That one sin, that one moment of compromise cut her out from the land of the living. Judas, Satan entered in his heart and the Bible says he compromised by selling Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. And that one thing put him in a downward spiral where he ended up hanging himself and throwing himself headlong where his intestinal tracts were gushed out. That's what, Luke's, uh, that's what the book of Acts says. And then finally, Herod, King Herod in the Bible, one sin by taking the praise of people and they began to say the voice of a God and not of a man. He took the position of God. He, he became prideful after having thrown Peter in prison and was scheduled to execute him. And before that, he had killed John, struck him down, cut his head off. Or not John, James. The brother of Jesus. Not the brother of Jesus, James the less. And the Bible says an angel came and struck him with worms and he was eaten from within. They, they, they started to eat out his intestines. One compromise. You go out and drink, drink up, get into a car, crash. Either you're dead or you kill someone. Or you get a DUI and you can no longer ever drive again and you have a criminal record on you. One compromise because you decided to take a drink. Because you decided to go to that bar. Because you decided to go out to that club. You go to that club. You hook up with a girl or a guy. And then you wake up. Three weeks, six weeks later, you start to have morning sickness. Find out you're pregnant. You never, you never even got the guy's number or name. There's some fathers out in the world. And you now have to carry this child that has no father. One moment of compromise puts you in a downward spot, changed your entire life. Stripped of joy now, stripped of, of peace, not knowing what you're going to do. One night out with the boys, 
in the wrong place. There's a friend I had in the world. He, he was a good guy, man. He, he still is a good guy. He went out one, one moment of compromise, went out to a party, got, went to a club, drank a few too much, too many beers or liquor, whatever, which more, more than one drop, one drop is too much, not more than one drop, one drop is too much. The Bible says it's not, it's not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink, and he's made you kings and priests unto our God and Savior. If you're a Christian, you've been made a king, you're a royal priesthood, and the Bible says it's not for kings to drink wine. This guy drank, ends up getting into a scrap with some guy, pushes him, someone else knocks him in the face, and the guy falls, cracks his head, and dies. And then he goes to jail for eight months because he was an accomplice. Though he, he wasn't the one that struck the blow to the guy's face that caused him to fall and, and die. He was just there. He pushed the guy. But because someone saw him on the scene, he went to jail for eight months. Criminal record. Was on probation for two full years after that. One moment of compromise. Had he stayed home. I, I was still in the world at that time. I was supposed to be at that party. Imagine I had gone. I could have been the one in, that, in, that, in those shoes. One moment. It doesn't take more than one moment. The Bible says in Genesis, 3, uh, Genesis 4, God appeared to Cain and said, sin is crouching at your door like a lion looking to pounce on its prey. If you do well, if you, if you turn your, the other way, if you keep your eyes unholiness sin will leave you alone but if you do not do well sin is crouching at the door and its desire is to overpower you people downplay the effect of sin like it's just some like quirk we have we all have different quirks sin is not a quirk it's not a bad habit it's not things that make us sad if you guys are feeling sad today uh, there might be some changes you can make in your life where you can have more joy in your life. Je Jesus didn't say the wages of sin is sadness. Paul didn't say the wages of sin is you're gonna be, you're gonna have a, you won't live up to your full potential. You know, sin keeps us from living up to our full potential. Agreed, but that's not the, uh, that's not the purpose of sin. The wages of sin is death. And if you don't see the enemy of sin, as one that's desiring to overpower you and bring you into death, you're not going to deal with it with the same aggressive nature and behavior that you should have towards it. If I had someone come into my house that had no weapons on him, but he was just trying to you know, steal my TV or whatnot, I won't use a weapon on him. I might, I might only just call the cops. If he's not threatening my life... You know, I'm not, I'm not that strong. I might not be able to beat him up with my own hands. So I might just call the cops and let him go. If he comes in with guns, if he comes in with a knife, I'm pulling, I don't have a gun for the Canadian, you know, authorities because it's illegal to hold a gun in your home. But if I was in the U.S., I'd pull out a gun and deal with him very differently. If you see sin as just a threat to your potential or a threat to your your joy levels or a threat to you might not live up to what God wants you to be. You're not going to deal with, that's where people, they water the effect of sin. They water it down. And so people tolerate it. People nurse it. People don't see it as the threat of what it really is. But when you see it, then its aim is to steal, kill, and destroy. 
then something rises up where you no longer tolerate it. Like Paul said in Romans 8, we are no longer in the flesh and debtors to the flesh, but by the Spirit, we put to death the deeds of the flesh. Something will rise up, a violence in you will rise up. Any theology that allows you to continue in sin is satanic. Any theology that gives you permission to sin or downplays sin. How many of you know we all sin every day and you know God understands our heart. The devil. Anybody that talks like that is lending their voice to the devil the same way Peter lent his voice to the devil when he told Jesus that it will never happen that he'd go to the cross. Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. They're, all, they're ministers. They're, Satan disguises himself as a minister of light many times. Any doctrine that makes sin palatable to you is a doctrine birthed in hell. And anybody that encourages sin, facilitates sin, celebrates sin, cheers you on to sin, is somebody who's operating by the devil himself, by a demon spirit. The Bible says they are under the spirit of disobedience. And their purpose is not just to shipwreck your destiny, it's to destroy, kill, and then make sure. The devil doesn't... The devil's aim is not just so that you, <coughs> you sin once. The devil's aim is not just so that you live a hard life here on the earth. He doesn't care if you live well or live hard here on the earth. His aim is to make sure you, you go to hell. His objective is to make sure you don't, you don't make heaven. And sin keeps you out, will keep you out of heaven. The Bible doesn't say, you know, pray this prayer at the altar and then go on and live whatever lives you are living. The Bible says, come out from the unclean thing. Touch not the unclean thing. Separate yourself from this world. Be, be ye faithful to my commandments and I'll receive you to myself and I'll, I'll be a father to you and you'll be sons and daughters to me. James 1 says, um, when lust comes on the scene, it conceives sin and when sin is fully birthed it brings forth spiritual death the bible says in revelation 22 outside the gates of heaven are liars adulterers the occult witchcraft outside the gate are sinners people who've not repented that's why Jesus' message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When they were pricked to the heart in Acts chapter 2 and they said, Peter, what, what must we do to be saved? He didn't say, you know, just try and live better. Repent and believe on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and you'll be filled with the Spirit and times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. So those are some reasons for holiness. Let me go through certain things I wrote down, what sin does. Number one, the reason why I'm talking about the highway of holiness, you know, Isaiah 35, the reason why I got that title is because Isaiah 35 says that a highway, when God sends his, it's prophesying of the, the Redeemer coming, the Messiah coming, that when he comes, he'll come with vengeance. He'll, he'll destroy the work of the devil. The eyes of the blind will see, the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. And then it says, and a highway shall be erected. A highway shall be built. A highway of holiness and only the redeemed shall dwell there. So there's two paths in life. You're either on the path of sin, 
that the Bible says is laced with thorns and thistles. The Bible says the way of the sinner is hard. The Bible says in the path of sin is death and destruction. But then there's a highway called holiness. Why do we want to walk on the highway of holiness? Well, here's what sin does. Number one, it prevents answers to our prayers. Psalm 66, 18. David said, if I had regarded iniquity, sin in my heart, the Lord would not hear me. The Bible says we have not because we ask not. And even when we ask, we wish to spend it on our own pleasures. We're still hedonists. We're still bound by our own pleasures. We're still trying to satisfy the desires of the flesh. The Bible says friendship with the world is enmity at God. And without holiness, no man can please the Lord. The Bible, we just read it. Carnal-minded people are at enmity with God and those who walk in the flesh can never please God. And so if you can't please God, you can't walk in faith and without faith, no man can please God and you can't approach God. Sin, God cannot dwell where sin is the Bible says, who can ascend the hill of the Most High? Who can stand on his, on his holy hill? Those who have clean hands and a pure heart. And only, the only way that happens is when the blood of Jesus wipes away the crimson stain of sin, of sin and makes you white as snow. And then the Spirit of God empowers you to live a life fully pleasing to the Lord. When you don't live like that, it prevents your uh, prayers from being answered. God will not, the Bible says, the prayers of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. The Bible says, he that turns his ear from hearing the law, even his prayers are an abomination to God. God will not hear. The only prayer God will hear from a sinner, someone who's living in habitual practical sin, is, Lord, forgive me, I repent, save me. That's the only prayer that God will hear. Until you pray that prayer, nothing else will work. Number two, Proverbs 5. Let me read this. Proverbs chapter 5 shows you a whole list of things that come. Through sin. Proverbs 5. Remove your way far from her. Talking about sin. Don't go near the door of her house. Lest you give your honor to others. You lose your all sense of honor. All sense of dignity. Sin will strip a man of dignity. Lest your years go to the cruel one. You'll waste your life. The Bible says of the prodigal son, he had wasted his life and his inheritance on sinful living. And he was bankrupt, morally bankrupt, physically bankrupt, financially. Sin will bankrupt you. you your years go to the cruel one. Lest aliens be filled with your wealth and your labors. Your hard work go to the house of a foreigner. You'll constantly be working for something, but nothing will ever satisfy. When at last you mourn and your flesh and your body are consumed... That's talking about the physical effect of sin. Sin will bring sickness on a person. David said, when I was in sin and I kept quiet of my sin, my vitality was drained as the, as the summer heat. The Bible says that uh, in Job chapter 20, uh, Job chapter 33, talking about the position of a sinner, that his flesh will waste away and his bones which were not seen will stick out. Psalm 107, the scripture says that uh, his own foolishness and transgression brought sickness on his body. Let me read it. Psalm 107. Psalm 107. I'm not saying all sickness comes as a result of, uh, of you know, direct sin. 
Some people, it's poor choices. Some people, it's gene- genetic, whatever. But <coughs> the, the, the Bible clearly says, and I'm going to read it, that there, there is a direct consequence of sin on the physical body. Fools, because of their transgressions and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. And their, their soul abhorred all manner of food. They didn't want to eat. It's one of the things sickness does. And they drew near to the gates of death. That's talking about terminal illness. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them from their distress. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from all destruction. Number three, bring sickness. Number four, sin will make victory impossible. Achan sinned. When Achan sinned, Joshua had received the promise, no man will stand before you all the days of your life. Achan sins and what happens? They go to Ai where it's a town where they said, let's just send two or 3,000 troops. No need to send all of our troops, lest they all become weary. Just send a few delegates of troops, and uh, it'll be more than sufficient to take control of that little village, that little town called Ai. Well, they go, and the Bible says they were defeated, and Joshua begins to cry out, Lord, you said that no man will stand before us. If word gets out in all the surrounding nations that we lost to Ai, they're going to see that you're no longer with us and they're going to try and fight against us and kill us and we no longer will have the reputation that God is fighting our battles. You know what God said? Why are you crying out to me? There's sin in your camp. And he said, you're doomed to destruction until you get rid of sin. Sin will doom you to destruction where victory is no longer possible. No longer possible. When Achan was discovered by the word of knowledge and Joshua destroyed Achan and burnt him and all of his possessions and everything that, was, that belonged to him. The Bible says that the next victory they had, they, they, they walked through unhindered and they had victory after victory after victory after that. But God said, until you get rid of the accursed thing, you'll, you'll stay under a curse. That's why when Balaam was hired by Balak to curse Israel, God couldn't do it because the Bible says, I have not witnessed iniquity in Israel. I have not witnessed sin in Israel. And so Balaam kept reporting, I can't curse whom God has blessed. Because they kept their garments pure, Balaam couldn't release a curse on them. And, uh, and Israel was, was blessed. They kept on marching into victory. Sin makes victory impossible. Number five, sin attracts sorrow. Many sorrows shall come to those who hasten after other gods. The Bible says in Psalm 16 and verse 4, many sorrows. The Bible says, he that sows in iniquity shall reap in sorrow. You sow the seed of sin, you'll reap the harvest of sorrow. Depression. Being heavy laden. The scriptures calls it the spirit of heaviness that is attracted by sin. Number six, it makes the word in your mouth of no effect. You can confess this Bible all you want. Psalm 50 says, what right have you to take my covenant in your mouth since you cast my words behind you and don't follow after my instructions? What right have you to take my word in your mouth? I'm seeing there's a lot of people writing there's some people are saying lagging. Some people say no lagging. I'm sorry if there's freezing. I, I don't know. I can't solve it right now. Hopefully on the replay, you can rewatch it. And uh, there won't be any lagging for you. And then number seven, 
So number six was the word of God, it becomes ineffective in your mouth. You can confess the scriptures, you can confess all you want. You can declare and decree all that you'd like. If there's sin in the camp, they're empty confessions. Empty chatter leadeth only unto poverty. The only time the word becomes effective is when it's backed by holiness in your life. Abraham. Abraham, the Bible says, was reckoned to be righteous. Because of his faith. And that's why he kept growing stronger in faith, giving glory to God, calling forth Isaac. He called those things which be not as though they were. And then number seven, sin brings death. Sin will bring death. What's the reward of holiness? I'm going to go through this, tell you how to live holy, practical steps to live holy, and then we're going to pray. The reward of holiness. You look at Job. The Bible says he was a man who eschewed evil, who turned away from sin, and he was the greatest in all the East. The greatest man in all the East. Job's commitment to being blameless in his day yielded a notable reward. The Bible says how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. He doesn't doesn't stand in the path of sinners. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he doth meditate day and night. He'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. He'll yield fruit in every season. His leaves will never wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. Josiah, as long as he sought the Lord and his will, he was prospering in every, everything that he did. The Bible says of Joseph, Joseph was a man... Who when he was faced with the temptation to sleep with Potiphar's wife. He turned away and said. How can I do such a thing and sin against my God? And what happened to Joseph? He kept. Though he was, he was confined to prison for a time. It wasn't long. Till he was second in command in all of Egypt. His decision to be holy. Put him on a path that was upward and onward. And there was no backward movement for him. Joseph, the Bible says, prospered, continued prospering until he became very prosperous. Even when he was sold into slavery by his own brothers, he could have got bitter. He could have just, you know what, I'm just going to start drinking. I'm going to go back to drugs. That's what a lot of people do. They have one slip up. They have one bad thing that happens to them. They have one challenge that comes their way. I'm going back. I'm going back. Going back to Egypt, where at least I had fun. Really, it was fun. The slavery of Pharaoh was fun. It wasn't. Joseph had every opportunity to curse God and die. But what did he do? Kept his garments pure. And Potiphar saw that the hand of the Lord was on Joseph. And he made him to be commander over everything in his house. The Bible says very clearly, the way of the Lord for the upright is strength is increase by humility and the fear of the Lord is riches, honor, and life. The Bible says very clearly, the fear of the Lord turns one upward and away from the snares of death. Holiness puts you on a path of continual promotion. We saw that in Daniel's day. He purposed in himself to not defile himself with the choice delicacies of this world. 
things that have been sacrificed to idols. Well, what happened to Daniel? Did things go downward for him? Did he go from bad to worse? No. Daniel, the Bible says, was distinguished in his generation because an excellent spirit was found in him and the king gave thought in setting him over the whole realm of Babylon. A slave made a senator in Babylon. Look at Paul. Paul, who said, I die daily. Paul, who said, I bring my flesh into subjection to my spirit. Paul, who the Bible says, I'm crucified with Christ, and I now walk in newness of life. Paul, who said, I no longer, the old man, the old me has been put off, and I now walk in purity and holiness, who told Timothy to walk with those who call upon the name of the Lord from a pure heart. Paul, who's put such a premium on holiness. Look at how his life turned out was used like a wrecking ball in the hand of God to break down strongholds in cities. Was a revivalist everywhere he went. Everywhere he went, awakening followed. He left a trail of miracles, signs and wonders. First Corinthians 2.9 says, I has not seen nor ear has heard, nor has it entered the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Who love him. There's a reward to holiness. You'll never strive to be holy if you don't see the reward. Moses, the Bible says, he persevered. Hebrews 11. He persevered. He endured looking unto the reward. Jesus endured the cross, taking sin on himself, despising its shame. Why? Because he looked to the reward that was set before him. You got to look to the reward. Righteousness carries a reward. Sin carries a curse. Godliness is profitable unto all things, holding promise that is in the life now and in the life to come. In the name of Jesus, you will not lose out on your reward. Some of you have kept a firm watch on yourselves. Some of you have strived for holiness. Some of you have kept your garments white and pure. Some of you have not entertained the things of this world. And it seems like nothing's moved for you. It seems like you've almost said in your heart, you've never voiced it because you'd never say it, but in your heart, you've said, man, it seems like it's useless to serve God. I, I, I haven't seen anything turn for me. I've read about what God's done for others, but I'm not seeing it happen for me in the name of Jesus Christ I prophesy all things shall begin to work together for your good as you love God as you keep his commandments as you've been faithful but don't let the devil deceive you God is not mocked whatever a man sows he shall reap you will reap your own harvest in the name of Jesus Christ be steadfast immovable the Bible says nothing you do for the Lord is done in vain your work shall be rewarded in the name of Jesus Christ. Moving on to my final section in this broadcast, and that is how to live holy. You can talk about holiness. You can talk about the effect, the benefit, the curse of sin, all that. But if you don't know how, practical steps. I want to make, that's my objective in these broadcasts, is to make them very practical for you. So now you have a plan of action. You're not just like fired up. We got to live holy. How? I don't know. We got to live holy. We need the fire of God. To do what? I don't know. We just need the fire. Here's one, two, three, four, five things. Five practical things you can apply today that'll enable you and empower you to live holy. Number one, how do you live holy? You need to make a choice. 
Before we move on to anything, you need to make a choice. Number one, you need to choose. Choose ye this day whom ye shall serve. Whether of sin leading to destruction or righteousness leading to life. God said, I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. All that you would choose life. The ball's not in God's court. He's done everything in his power for you to live a holy life. For you to live a life empowered by his spirit in victory. But you have to choose life today. Choose Jesus. It's a daily thing. Daily deny yourself. Daily pick up your cross. Daily choose to follow him. You can choose to reject. You can choose. To, you know that in Christ you, can, you, have, you have to choose to sin. You don't just stumble in or fall into sin. It's a choice. It's a conscious decision to sin. When you're not in Christ, when you're bound by sin, it's not a choice, it's a lifestyle. But when you're in Christ, it's a choice. You can choose to sin. But you can also choose not to sin. Paul said, I, I discipline my body. I bring it into subjection. He said, I, I, I run in such, a way, in such a way that I might obtain the prize. Athletes, they keep themselves in check. They choose to be disciplined to obtain a perishable crown. The Olympics are on. These people have spent the last four years, the last, their whole life training for this one moment to run the 100 meter race, to swim the 100 meter race, whatever it is that they're doing. They're doing it for a piece of gold that nobody's going to even remember their name four years from now. We're running. Our race set before us, laying aside every sin and every weight that so entangles us to obtain an imperishable, incorruptible crown that is reserved for us in heaven that Paul said will be given to those who love his appearing, who love his appearing and coming. Paul said, I've fought the fight. I've kept the faith. In the future, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord will give to all who love his appearing and coming. You have to choose. Galatians 5 says, now that you've been set free, do not subject yourselves again to a yoke of slavery. Don't go back to where you were. Don't entertain yourself with the same people that kept bringing you back into that bondage of sin. Choose ye this day whom ye shall serve. And start to say like Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Number two, how to live holy. Actually, let me go back to number one. Two, to make Psalm 101, David, you, you should read it. Psalm 101 says, I will behave perfectly in a, in a wise way. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I will cut off those that are evildoers in my presence. I will... I will, I will, 10, 15 times you see I will in that psalm. David's showing us that it's a matter of the will. I will live holy. I want you to write that in the comment section. Announce it to hell today. I will live holy. I will. Number two, keep proper companionship. Do not be deceived. Poor company, bad company corrupts good morals. You can't hang around people that are intent to go into strip clubs and casinos and all that. And don't and, and, and deceive yourself into thinking you won't be dragged in. You'll be dragged in. 
you'll be dragged in. I'm not saying never hang out with a sinner ever again. We need to reach our world. But I'm saying is don't have close fellowship or companionship with them. Shouldn't be your best, best friends. Where you do where you spend every waking moment of your day with them. Bible says, especially of those in the church, if any man calls himself a brother, a Christian, but sits at the table of demons, the Bible says, don't even eat with such a person. Because the likelihood, or, or, or what's likely to happen, is not you drag them up to where you're at. They're gonna, it's easier for me to pull you down than it is to lift you up. You look at a bucket full of crabs. You got 15 crabs in there. One finally makes it to the point where he can tip over to the other side and break free. But then another claw comes in and drags that, that crab right back in. That's, that's how it is. They'll keep dragging you back in. The Bible says Amnon took the advice of Jonadab and he encouraged him to sin. He facilitated sin in his life and it, it destroyed Amnon's life. He was next in line. He was to be king one day. The king's very own son. The Bible says one person's poor advice cut him out. The Bible says he that walks with the wise will be wise, but the companions of fools will be destroyed. That's why the scripture says you are to choose your friends wisely. Choose your friends wisely. So be selective with who spends the most, who you expose yourself the most with. Number three, the Holy Spirit empowers you to follow through with that choice. How to live holy? You need the Holy Spirit. He's called the Spirit of Holiness. And the Bible says one of His graces that He releases to us is um, grace to have obedience to the faith. The Holy Spirit empowers you to live holy. That's why the Bible says, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Ghost. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll be under the influence and the control of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will never lead you to sin. The Bible says the Holy Spirit will lead you to righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The Bible says He'll guide you into all truth. The Bible says He'll convict you of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit will show you, don't go there. Don't hook up with that person. Don't link up with that business. Don't spend time with that person. And as he gives you these cues and you follow his leading, those that are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. God will lead you as if you're a son and a daughter of God. He'll lead you by his Spirit and he'll lead you into paths of uprightness, the Bible says. You look at Peter before Pentecost and after Pentecost. Couldn't confess Christ before three servant girls at a fire. Gets baptized in the Holy Spirit and now he's confessing. He's bold. There's a lot of people who want to live holy, but they lack power to live holy. It's one thing to have passion. It's another thing to have power to carry through with that passion. Peter had a lot of passion. He said, if all are made to stumble, I'll never stumble. I'll walk with you to the end, Jesus. Jesus said, before the rooster crows, Three times you'll have, uh, before the rooster crows, you'll have denied me three times. Jesus knew that he had a lot of passion, but he didn't have the power to follow through. A lot of people have passion to live right, to live holy. They want to be holy. They don't want to live in sin any longer. But today, the power of the Holy Ghost is coming on you to empower you 
to not just have a lot of passion leading to frustration, but that passion is going to that passion will be backed by power to lead you into a holy lifestyle. To put to death the deeds of sin so you can live in righteousness. Number 3, the Holy Spirit will empower you. He's called the, the Holy Spirit for a reason. Acts 1.8, you will receive power after that. The Holy Spirit has come on you. And one of the purposes of that power, the one of the purposes of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to enable you to, uh, to deny sin. Bible says, you know, when you pray in the Spirit, what do you think it's doing? It's building yourself up. Building what up? Not just faith. It's building you up to have a backbone in a generation that's bowing to the bales of our generation. B bowing to the bale of compromise. When you pray in the Holy Ghost, He builds you up so that you don't bow. And if you don't bow, you'll not burn because the Holy Ghost will stand by you. You pray in the Holy Ghost. Smith Wigglesworth used to say, if you'll pray in the Holy Ghost first thing in the morning for 15 minutes till you feel the anointing come on you, you'll never backslide. Do that every day. Pray in the Holy Spirit for 15 minutes, 20 minutes till you feel the anointing come on you and joy hits you. You'll never know a day of backsliding. You'll always be moving forward with God. Number four, get the word in you. The Bible says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I would not sin against you. Jesus said, you are clean because of the word that I've spoken unto you. When you hide God's word in you, this Bible by itself, the seed of the word. You know, a farmer doesn't have to do anything to the seed. He just has to plant it and water it. When you plant this word in your heart and water it daily, the, the byproduct of it will be a, an abhorrence, a hatred for sin, and a love for God's standard of righteousness. I have hidden your word in my heart, David said, so that I would not sin against you. It produces power to resist sin. David said, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to his word. There's a supernatural power that's released when you get this word in you. That empowers you to live in victory over sin. Ephesians 5.26, I believe it is, says you are washed with the washing of the water of the word. The word of God is a detergent. It washes away the impurities of the flesh. It's like a winnowing fan that takes off the chaff. It, 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 the more you renew your mind by the word of God, the less you're going to want to sin and the more you're going to want to live holy. John said, I will decrease, he will increase. The word of God is like a hammer. It decreases you. It breaks the, 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 the chains that keep men bound off of you. And then the same hammer that breaks those chains builds you up. Builds you up. So get the word of God in you. Ex expose yourself constantly to the word. Listen to preaching on a daily basis. You think that you're going to listen to Nicki Minaj or Cardi B? And not catch a, 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 a spirit of lust on your life? You think you're going to watch shows that it's just adultery, Big Brother, where it's just people sleeping with each other? Or other shows where it's, it's like The Bachelor, where it's just open, open sexual carousing. And you're not going to catch that in your own life? And not have a problem with lust? You think you can watch movies 
where it's all it's about is drugs and gambling and mafia and all this and not have a, 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 a greediness that comes on you or you watch, you know, uh, videos of celebrities, lavish lifestyles and all that and how they have Lambos and all this, which I'm not against people having nice things. But you think that you exposing yourself to that, you're not going to attract covetousness in your heart. What you're looking at today is where you're going to live tomorrow. Aiken, you look at the progression of sin in his life. I saw the gold. I coveted the gold. I took the gold. And I hid the gold. That's the progression of sin. It starts with what you look at. You don't just wake up and you're in someone's bed. And man, I just committed adultery. Man, yesterday I was a faithful husband on fire for the Holy Ghost and doing all everything I knew to do for the kingdom of heaven. And look at this. Man, isn't that, that devil tricky? That's not how it works. Backsliding is a slow and steady leak. It's like a tire that has a hole in it. And the more you, the guy doesn't, he's driving, he still doesn't know there's a hole in his tire and it's leaking out. But then all of a sudden, whoom, 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 you realize it's too late. You got to pull over and get a tire change. That's how backsliding is. It's a slow and steady leap until all of a sudden you realize you're so far from where you've been and you feel far from God. And you're like, Lord, why are you so far from me? God's not far from you. God's been in the same place. If he feels far from you, it's because you move, not him. So it starts with what you look at. The eye of the body. The Bible says, if it is single, if you're focused on me, your whole body will be filled with light. But if your eye is, in, on, is focused on darkness, your whole body will be filled with darkness. If your eye is single, if it, if it is focused, David said, Lord, unite my heart to fear your name. Give me singleness of mind to fear your name. If you don't discipline where your eyes look, movies you watch, where your ears are going, music you listen to, News you let into your, into your shows you watch. Whatever. You're going to be a mess. It's going to move on to coveting. You're going to start wanting those things. Which is the passion of sin. It's the lust, the allure of sin. Then you're going to take. And then what happens? Achan said, I hit it. Try and cover it up. And no matter how hard you try to cover it up. You can try and cover up sin. You can try and... Hide it under a, a, a bed. You can try and put it in a safety deposit bank box in a bank. The Bible says, be sure your sins will find you out. It'll find you out. Number five, how to live a holy life. Start confessing what the Bible says about you. And I'm going to read this and then we're going to pray. First Corinthians chapter six. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and beginning with verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus 
Christ and the Spirit of our God. Such were some of you. I'm not like that anymore. I'm not what I used to be. I'm a new creation. I don't call myself by what I was. I call myself by what God has called me to be and who he's made me to be. Such, notice how it doesn't say, and such are some of you. Oh, I'm still a recovering alcoholic, still a recovering drug addict, still this, still a sinner saved by... No, I was those things. I was washed. You, you got to start confessing that. I was washed. I was sanctified, set apart, and I was justified. What does justified mean? Just if I'd never sinned, I'm pure, holy, righteous, and, and perfect in the eyes of my God. Colossians 1 says it this way. He has made peace with us through the blood of his cross. And now we might be presented before him, holy, without spot, above reproach in his sight. I can draw near to him without any sense of condemnation, inferiority, any sense of guilt, any sense of wrongdoing. I am pure. I am righteous. That's, that's not something I think of myself. And I'm not righteous based on my own righteousness. I'm righteous. The Bible says in Titus chapter 2, but not by works of righteousness, but by his mercy, he's washed us. By his mercy, he redeemed us from every lawless deed. He's purified me. Stop calling yourself by your old sinful nature. You, the old man, we've put it off. We've been renewed in the spirit of our mind. We've put on the new man, which is created in the image of God. What Adam lost in the garden, I've regained in Christ. So start to call yourself that. When the pastor comes out, how many of us are sinners? Lift your hands. Just yell out. Not me. He took my sin. I don't have to be a sinner anymore. I'm now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The old sinful garments have been removed from me. The old heart of, of, of sin. The old uh, heart of stone. And the callous heart that I had. It's been removed from me. I've got a new heart. I've got a new mission in life. And he has forever perfected me. Hebrews 9 says, He has forever perfected those who are being sanctified by faith in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm forgiven. You can't be a forgiven sinner. You're either forgiven or a sinner. I'm forgiven. And I'm no longer a sinner. Just like I can't be a married bachelor. I'm either married or a bachelor. I'm married. I'm no longer a bachelor. I'm married to Christ. His nature which is righteousness, now overflows and overfloods me. His holiness now reigns and rules in me. I'm not what I used to be. I now walk in newness of life. I'm a slave to righteousness. I walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, bearing fruit in every good work. Not a recovering this or recovering that. Anyone tries to remind you of your past? That's what I used to be. But here, let me give you a lesson of what I am now. I'm redeemed by His blood. Oh, hallelujah. I'm redeemed by His blood. I was far off. I've been brought near by His blood. I was cut off. I've been connected by His blood. In the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus I want you to make this final confession with me and say this and write this out. Just say, I can be, or I can live holy. I can live holy. That's right. It's not some impossibility. 
It's not something that one day we'll make heaven and we'll find. No. Paul said, I'm pressing towards the goal. You'll never hit a target that you don't know exists. Very hard to hit a target that's small. Even harder and impossible to hit a target that you don't even know exists. If you think holiness is absolute holiness is some impossible concept that a few religious fanatics have created, but it's not scriptural and it's not... You'll never arrive at it. Paul said, I've not apprehended it yet, but it exists and I'm pressing towards the goal. There's a Holiness is not a destination. It's a highway that we walk on, that we daily sub, subdue our desires to live according to his pleasure and his desire. Philippians 2.13 says, it is God who is at work in us and through us to do and to will his pleasure. You surrender, your, you realize, I can't do it on my own. But when you say that, it's not, oh, I can't do it on my own, so I'm just, I, I'm just going to live a hard life now. No, I can't do it on my own. Holy Spirit, and that should be your prayer today. Holy Spirit, activate your power in me to live clean in an unclean world, and he'll do it. If you're watching right now and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, the Bible says um, very clearly that the soul that sinneth, it shall die. I talked about hell before. Hell is a real place. And it wasn't designed for, for you to go there. God designed heaven for you. The Bible says very clearly that um, unless you're born of water and spirit, you'll never inherit the kingdom of God. Unless you're born again. What's born again? It's not you coming to church. That's good. And when you're born again, you'll want to go to church. Born again is not you join the church and subscribe to membership there. Born again is not I subscribe to my YouTube channel or some guy's YouTube channel that preaches on, on Jesus. Born again is not I joined uh, an organization or some fellowship where I'm no longer alone. Born again, John 3 says it. Water and of spirit. John 3 says they, know, they did not love their lives. They did not love darkness. They had pleasure in light. There has to come a point in your life where you realize your depravity without God and this world's hopelessness without God and how the problem that you're seeing in life, the root of it is not to be found in anything else it's not in blaming this guy and that guy and this girl and that girl and my boss. It's in sin. And until you get rid of sin, the problem will persist. But today, today marks a new day for you. Where you can hand your life over to the Lord. Repent. Ask the Lord to wash you free from sin. Clean you up. Have a new beginning with God right now. You don't have to push it off till tomorrow. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the day to be saved. Don't wait for a more opportune time. It may never come. The most opportunistic time to be saved is here and now. Pray this with me. If you've never done that, or maybe you have, but you'd like to recommit your life to Christ, do this with me right now. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I believe you raised Christ from the dead. I confess Jesus is my Lord. Fill me with your spirit. Where I was weak, make me strong. Wash away all my sin. Empower me to live a holy life. And I'll never turn around. I'm living for you. 
from now till Jesus comes. In Jesus' name, amen. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.